If you got your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. It's the passage that Charles read earlier. And we've been going through the series on changing our minds, changing our mindset when it comes to Christianity. Because as followers of Christ, sometimes we immediately think that all we have to do is change some actions or maybe some ways that we feel. That's what Christianity is all about. But Paul, early on in many of the teachings of even Christ, tell us that the Christian faith starts with how we think. It's changing our mindsets on some different things that go on in our life. And I shared a couple of weeks ago about how difficult it is for me to change my mind sometimes on things. I shared you my journey with coffee from hating it to like loving it and can't getting enough of it. There's been another food issue in my life that God has been transformative in me. And I remember the first time I sat down at a sushi restaurant and somebody brought out raw fish. And I'm like, why? Why? I could not understand why you would take something that was in the ocean and not cook it, not put anything on, just bring it out and you would eat it. I'm like, this looks, smells, and I can imagine how horrible this would taste. And I remember the first time I tried it, it was at an all-you-could-eat sushi, sushi restaurant in like the backwoods of somewhere in Georgia. It was not a smart place to try raw fish for the first time. And I tasted this and it tasted and smelled as horrible as I can imagine. It's the old, like, it tastes like fish. And I'm like, what's fish? I guess it should taste like, you know, how bad does the food have to be if you say the best thing about it is it doesn't taste like itself. But it's one of those things like you just like, I didn't like it. Well, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Korea with Pastor David, who was our Korean pastor here, and spent a week in Korea. And he said, you're going to love the seafood over there. And I was like, as long as it's cooked, I'm good. And he was like, well, it's not always going to be cooked. And so he took me to these two or three places. I, I don't know. It, he said it was tuna and salmon. And when I put it in my mouth, it tasted like magic. Like, this is the best thing, one of the best things I've ever tasted in my life. And it opened up my idea and my mind to a new way of thinking about eating raw fish. And, sa- and now I'm like, give me, you know, sal- salmon tartare, tuna tartare, I'll eat it any way that you can give it to me. I love it. My mind has been changed because maybe a one bad experience now compared to a really good experience helped me think about things in a different way. And that's what this series has been about. Like, these ingrained thoughts culturally that have been in our mind about Christianity, about certain things, and how we handle situations, we have to stop and say, is that really true? Is that really what it is? Or do do I need to take that thought captive and begin to change and shift how I think? And that's what Romans 12, 2 tells us. Paul here, and this is what this teaching, this whole series is built off of, he says, do not any longer be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that then by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good, perfect, and acceptable, and perfect. That we get to test things. We get to put our mind to use. And that's what he's challenging us to do. And we've been going through this series, moving from judgment to encouragement, understanding that Christianity is not an ideology. It's about intimacy with Christ. Last week, Jared walked us through how it's not this pursuit of happiness in our life, but holiness and hope. And through that, then true joy shows up into our life. And today, we're going to take on another challenging aspect. And to be honest, when I put this series together a couple months ago, and when I put this one on the list uh, for today, I had really no clue what I would be walking through personally. But today's topic is, as we look in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9, is this idea of how do we move from desperation 
in dark times to actually becoming more dependent upon Christ. Because the truth is this, every stage of our life, we're going to have days that are dark and difficult. Every stage. Babies cry, right? We had a, our niece uh, had her uh, baby. They were visiting with us a couple weeks ago. And like babies just cry. They get hungry and dirty and everything else that goes along with being a baby. And they just cry like they have a dark day when they go three hours without a meal. Like they, darkness enters their life. They need something to sustain them. Children cry, you know, I mean, at school, I remember when Natalie and PJ were in school, especially Natalie, some days would just come home crying, upset, and I was like, what's wrong? And she was like, somebody said this about me, and I'm like, just ignore it, it's fine, and she's like, I can't, you know, just cry, and we have dark days. Teenagers cry, right? I mean, I remember I was in late middle school, and I had this girlfriend named Wendy who was it. I mean, she, I was like, I'm spending the rest of my life with this girl, right? We've been together for like two days. And, uh, and then she like sends me a note. There, there was no text or anything back then. Like it was through an emissary, like one of her friends, you know, <laughs> sends it through one of my friends and I get it. And I'm excited. I open up the note from Wendy and it's very short. And it's basically saying, I don't want to be your girlfriend anymore. And I was like, what? I've wasted the last two days of my life. And uh, I remember like being at home. I was so upset. And there was a song on the radio at that time. I don't even remember who sings it, but it was a song called I Miss You. And it was playing on the radio while I was mourning. And I'm like weeping. And I thought this would be a good idea. I put a cassette tape in the radio that I had. I recorded the song. And then I called Wendy up on the phone. And I just played the song for her. And uh, very, yeah, it didn't work. We're not, we were not together. And... Uh, but I remember weeping, like it was a dark day in my life. Like, even as adults, we have dark days, right? I mean, how many times have you seen people crying on the subway? I mean, it's just, there are subway criers. We've all sometimes been subway criers. Like, it's just a tough day. And to be honest, I mean, these last couple of weeks have been some dark weeks in my life walking through the death of my mom. It is not a matter of if they're going to come or how, if we're going to feel overwhelmed or burdened. It's these are going to come. In these days, we can easily fall into an old way of thinking and be filled with desperation and start to ask questions like, why did this happen? What will I do? When will this go away? But there's a, this passage of scripture that we're going to look at this morning that helps us understand and challenges us to move from a mindset of desperation with trials to a mindset of dependence, an act of dependence upon the one who holds the true power over difficulties, darkness, and even death. And so let's look. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9 says this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Let's jump into this. Verse 7 here is an interesting verse. It actually is kind of the key to initiating this new kind of mindset in our thinking and the Apostle Paul who wrote this compares us to what he says, jars of clay. We have these jars of clay. He's talking about our life, our vessel, who we are. And we think, oh, that's nice. But to be honest, this is not really a compliment. Like it's been turned into beautiful imagery. I've heard it taught before. Like people go through how, how the jars of clay are made, they're hand put together, they're intricately beautiful. People, you know, sculpt them and shape them and they decorate them and they go through all this about how God does that in our own life. And it's true, but that's not really what he's talking about here. And we even talked 
because the thing that everybody knew about jars of clay was this, not how beautiful they were, but how fragile they were. How fragile. And he knew everybody had experiences at some point in their life, they knocked over a jar of clay in their home and it shattered. No matter what beauty it had around it, no matter how much tender loving care went into shaping it, it was going to be broken. Eventually, it was going to break no matter how beautiful. And why, do, why does Paul use this to describe us? Because what he wanted us to understand from the very beginning is two things that come when dark with difficult days. One is this. Your life will experience brokenness. It will. There are going to be cracks in your jar. There are going to be days that your jar falls over and it shatters. We are fragile. Bumps are going to cause us to fall off the table. We're going to be dropped unexpectedly. It's going to happen. No, not a matter of if, but when. But the second thing he wants us to see by using this illustration is this. Your goal isn't to keep yourself from being broken, but to embrace the resource that comes out when it breaks. Look at what he says. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power of God, not us. That comes out when the jar is broken. You break a jar and the wheat or flour fall out of it, you say, make bread. Make something good of it. You break a jar with beans in it, make soup. Your life breaks through pain and hardship. Allow the power of God in you to make something meaningful of it. Paul is telling us to be fully aware that you and I cannot avoid pain. We can't. It's unavoidable. Hardship and difficulty are unavoidable. Darkness, dark days in our life are unavoidable. But here's what he's also saying. It doesn't have to own you. The dark days, the difficult days do not have to own you. Instead, the power of God can help you own it. Own the darkness. Own the difficulties. So let's look at how we can change our minds about this. Let's first look at this old way of thinking of living out of desperation. Our natural way of thinking is typically this, when hardship or darkness comes into our life, when we have those dark days, we typically do a couple of things. One, we try to desperately avoid these situations altogether. We try to desperately avoid difficulties and hardship. So if we see something coming, we'll go the other direction. Like we just try to avoid at all costs anything. To, so we create safeguards, create things that will keep pain at as far of a distance as we can. That's one way we do it. But second thing, if it finally gets to us, if it gets through all of our barriers, jumps over all of our hurdles, and actually hits us, then we desperately try to get out of these difficulties and hardships as quick as possible. Like, this is too much. I don't like this feeling. I don't like feeling uncomfortable. I don't like feeling pain. I don't like feeling this darkness and difficulty. So I desperately try to get out. But Paul tells us that this type of thinking is actual futile and frustrating because the real truth, and we know it, is that our life is going to not just have some challenges, it's actually going to be filled with difficulty and dark days. They aren't the exception and something that we can avoid. Your jar, your life that you are so desperately trying to protect, the pain you are so desperately trying to avoid for yourself and your loved one is coming. And it's going to come regularly. Look at what this verse says. 2 Corinthians 4 says, We are afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. He doesn't say we will be or you might be or at some point in the future. What does he say? We are. We are facing some form of these challenges every day. Now, I'm not saying like as a Christian, like every day ought to be a bad day. That we don't have good days in our life. 
or that we can't even have an amazing life. That's not what this is saying. He's just saying as much as there's goodness and greatness at work in your life, there's also difficulty and trials at work in your life. It is walking through life with two constant companions. There's going to be beauty and hope and, and great things that come, but also as you walk, there's going to be challenges and difficulties. Think about just your normal day. You have both of these tracks. Your life runs on both of these tracks. Great things, challenges. Disappointments, great wins in your life. Our life runs on these. And when we think we can just get rid of one of those tracks in our life, he says you're going to end up thinking futile and desperate thoughts that take you down a path that God didn't intend for you to try to just avoid those. We live with the mindset of the removal of all these things from our lives. How do we remove affliction? How do we remove feeling perplexed, persecuted, or struck down? Paul tells us that this is futile, this feeling of trying to remove all these things, and instead what we need to allow to do is to allow the power of Christ to come in and renew all these things, to take them and to use them in our life. And so let's look at what are some of the concepts that he uses here and how we can spot the marks of a desperation mindset, that we're just trying to get rid of things and deal with things. And the first mark is with this word afflicted. So the word afflicted literally means here to be pressed in on every side. It was the same word used when they would talk about putting a grape through a wine press, where it would get squished and squeezed and everything in it would get squeezed out. We start to feel, when we start to feel afflicted, we start to feel pressure. Things start to close in. Unseen forces are pushing on us. And without the power of God spilling out of our lives, we tend to have a certain mindset, and that's a mindset of uncertainty. We start to wonder what could happen. We start to think, I'm losing control. Things aren't going my way. We try to figure out what triggered this and how to stop it. This wasn't here yesterday, but it's here today. What's going on? We grow uncertain in our thinking because we think we're losing control, and we start asking the question, why? Why is it happening? Why is this going on in our life? That's the beginning. That question is the beginning of a desperation mindset. Why, why, why? The second thing, when he says, then we'll be perplexed. This word means that we're actually left without resources. It's the idea of being empty-handed to face a battle or to face a journey. You have a challenge ahead of you, but you are empty-handed. That's what it means to be perplexed. You don't know what to do. It is the idea of a soldier rushing into battle with no weapon or no defense. And we see a trial, and we think of how ill-equipped we are to handle this. And we begin to feel helpless. We begin to feel helpless. What can we do? We start looking around for anything that can solve the problem. We'll look for any solution. Anybody can say anything, and we'll try it because we are perplexed. We don't know what to do. We get desperate. It reminds me, if you saw the very first Star Wars, when they're taking and they're saving uh, Princess Leia from the Death Star, and they shoot and they slide down into the trash compactor and the trash compactor starts to close in on them and they're like they don't know what to do like they they literally cannot do anything in that room and i can still hear luke like 3po 3p you know just calling for help and that's the way we do when we're perplexed we're like is this going to crush me i can do nothing and we start to feel helpless and we start asking the question what can i do which is another question of desperation And then when we face persecution, this word means that we're actually being chased after and pursued with someone that has ill intent for us. It isn't a good feeling. 
you've ever had somebody chase after you that wants to harm you, it's not a good feeling. It's like this soldier who ran with no weapons, all of a sudden he gets to the enemy and they realize he has no weapons and they start chasing him. And they start running after him and they don't know what to do and they pursue him and they want to harm him and here's what it brings. It brings fear. Fear. My first day of ninth grade in high school, I was walking down. We had these big tunnels in our high school. They called it, it wasn't really a tunnel, but it, it's what they were called. It's like kind of these big ramps. And we came around the corner, me and two of my ninth grade friends, and we like went pow and ran right into like these big 11th graders at the time. They were probably like five foot seven at the time. <laughs> but for me, I was like, oh my gosh. And they were like, what'd you just do, ninth grader? And like, we're scared to death. And so we take off. We take off and like, we are fearful. Like they, we, if they catch us, they're going to persecute us. We, we knew that was going to happen. And like, I remember that fear in my life. Like how quickly can I get away from this? And it was beautiful. We were running and I went through the halls, came around and I ran into somebody else. And it happened to be my senior brother and his friends. And when those 11th graders came around, I was like, yeah, what you going to do now? Because they were like football players and they were much bigger and things like that. It was like all of a sudden my fear turned into joy because I had found some new resources. But that doesn't happen in our life sometimes when we hit these problems. We feel like we're running endlessly looking for something and nothing, no hope is there, which leads us to the fourth when it says that we are struck down. And this word literally means to be thrown down to the ground, to be caught, captured, and thrown down in our desperate run to avoid and escape the dark days and difficulties of our life, they finally catch up to us and we feel beaten and it brings about a feeling of hopelessness. I'll never get past this. I'll never get over this. And we start to feel overcome, left for dead. No one understands what's happening. No one cares. Everyone is out to get me. And we start to ask the question, where is help? Where is everyone? Now, where does this type of thinking lead us? Because I know I've gotten caught in this cycle before in my life. Something happens, I start to feel the pressure, then I feel ill-equipped to deal with it. Then it gets closer, and I want to start running. I'll just run to get away from it. And eventually I have to give up, and it just catches up, and it feels like this overwhelming weight of sorrow and sadness and hurt hit us. And if we live as if we're just trying to protect that jar of clay to keep our life from being broken and we don't actually break it and let the power of God come out and deal with all of this in our life that is there, it's going to lead us to some dangerous places. And here's where it leads us to a couple of things, a way we think. One is this. We start giving the problem all of the power. All of the power. The problem that we're facing, whatever it is. I think back to, I mean, I, there are so many things I wish we could have done to help my mom more or do something different and like, but the more I think about that, I'm just giving the problem more and more power. Maybe you're facing a relationship issue and you just keep looking at it and you, the more you just focus on the problem and trying to protect yourself, that gets bigger and bigger and we give it more and more power so that it becomes blinding to us because it's the only thing we see. It becomes not just a wall to get over, it becomes a, a cage that we live in because we get so overwhelmed by it. And here's what happens, here's the result we start to forsake the promises of God. We stop looking to God that what is in our jar of clay and just focus on our fragile lives and we forget that he has the power of the creator of the universe that is at work within us. 
doesn't mean that we snap his fingers and the problem will go away, but we're going to look and see what it actually means when we lean into that power instead of just focusing on the problem. But when we get in this mindset of hopelessness and fear, we give the problem all the power and forsake the promises of God. But here's the other thing we do. We then start to overestimate the impact of the consequences. We give the problem and the consequences so much power. We start living in worst-case scenario world. The darkness becomes unavoidable and uncontrollable. The pain will be too great and the consequences too severe. We start thinking the absolute worst of everything. And it damages us. It, it holds us. And here's what the result of that is. As we start to dismiss the previous displays of God's faithfulness, both in our own lives and historically. We stop looking back at what God has already done when he came through for us in the past and how we and so many others have walked through darkness and came out on the other side and keep forgetting that death has even lost its sting. Can I say one of the most encouraging things for me in these last few weeks that have been dark weeks for me is just in this room and in our faith family, there are four people that I know over the last year and a half that have walked through the death of a parent, that I've had conversations with, that I've talked through, that I've cried with, I've laughed with, I've, I've sorrowed with, mourned with. And I see their lives continuing to flourish, continuing to work through the darkness, continuing to step forward. And it's encouragement for me to look back on that. But if I allow the consequence, if I think this dark moment will own me for the rest of my life, and I forget the faithfulness of God that's already been displayed in my life and others, we get caught behind it. We get caught in this perplexed, despair, desperate state. And it's not a good place to live. It's not a good place to live. And our problems then become a poison to us. We start looking at things and they, we can't see any good to ever come of it. God becomes a bully who is doing this to us. But here's what I want you to hear. There's a passage that shows us that there is a different way of thinking. Psalms 46, 1 through 3 says this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and though the mountains tremble at a swelling. We will not fear. This is a new way of thinking. And that new way of thinking is dependence. Learning to be dependent upon the power of God. You go back to the very first 2 Corinthians 4, 7, you have this jars of clay filled with the goodness and greatness of God. Our life is filled with that goodness and greatness. And the way that you get that is actually in brokenness. When you experience brokenness, remember we said we will, it's not a matter of if, but when. It's when you experience brokenness, you don't try to pick up the shards of the jar and put the jar back together. You actually pick up the greatness of God that has been spilled in your life in that broken moment and allow it to begin to bring fruit in your life. Because there's a different part. We just said in 2 Corinthians 4, 8-9 that it says we're afflicted, persecuted, uh, perplexed, and struck down. But Paul adds some extra things here when we go back and look. He says that we are afflicted but not crushed. Think about what that word afflicted means, that it was a grape being pressed together. What he's saying is, is you and I are not going to be crushed like that grape. Even though the pressure is going to come, instead, when we start to look inside of ourselves and to God that is within us, and that ever-present help, here's what we're going to find. Renewed strength. Strength. 
as that pressure comes, you are going to find strength to stand up to it. And that's a decision we make, not to be overwhelmed by the circumstances, but to be overwhelmed by the power of God that's within us. And instead of start asking, why is this happening? Why is this happening? We start looking to the God who created us, who gives us strength. Choose his strength, not my strength. But then when we get perplexed, he says, we will not be driven to despair. When we feel empty-handed and we are out of resources and we start saying, what can I do here? We start to look to God. And in that moment of looking to God, he gives us another beautiful gift, not just strength, but he gives us wisdom. He gives us wisdom. He tells us how to stop the pressure from coming, how to come above it, how to move out from under it, not be forsaken. When you feel like people are just like my, running into my brother in that hallway and finally finding God on the other side and saying, yes, I'm here to help. And what that gives us is endurance. Endurance to fight through the difficult days. The pressure feels struck down, but even in falling down, you are not going to be destroyed. Even when you feel like the difficulties have overtaken you and you enter into the most desperate and darkest moments of your life, and they will come. Deep, deep darkness and desperation will come. God says, I am ever present. I am there. You will not be destroyed. Which basically is saying, even when you feel like you are at the death's door, the end of your rope, there's hope and healing. And he gives us healing. There's beautiful healing, even in death, for those of us who believe in Christ. So how do we choose dependence? This is how I've seen it play out in my life and other people's lives is one, we have to move this. We have to move from asking why to asking how. The why, the what, the when, all these kind of questions that we have, they're questions to ask, but how is a better question? How is God going to demonstrate his faithfulness through that? How is this going to grow me in righteousness? How am I going to experience him at levels that I never have before? Move from asking why to asking how. But also move a mindset from a mindset of prevention to perseverance. From prevention to perseverance. We have to lay down the mindset of avoidance and instead embrace the idea of strengthening for the race ahead. That God is growing us. That these trials and struggles we are facing today are strengthening us for trials and struggles ahead. He says, that Paul later on tells us that God is the author of our faith. That he is writing our story. And as he's writing our story, you know what tells a great story? It's conflict, difficult days, overcoming challenges. And God is writing a beautiful story in your life as you work through with him these dark and difficult days. And that moves us then to the third thing is to move from this delivered from mindset to deliver me through mindset. We love to say, you know, God, I'm struggling. Get me out of this. But the true strength of character and the true strength of a person of faith is not getting out of it. It's getting through it with God, walking through it with God. Paul doesn't just call God the author of our faith. He also calls him the perfecter of our faith, which means that as we walk through, he's going to use these things to deliver us to deepen our connection with him, which leads me to the final way that I choose dependence is to move from viewing problems to start viewing them as possibilities. Every problem has an opportunity, an opportunity to be redeemed and be used for our good. 
Now, way too often, and I even heard it this week, people say, oh, it's a tragedy. We hate that your mom went through this and you're having to go through it, but God's got something good planned for this. And I just wanted to slap him. I mean, literally, I'm like, you know, that's, that's, you're, you're in pain, you're hurting, and it's like, it's a very trite answer, and that's not what I'm saying here. Like, oh, I mean, that's just a bad thing to say. But here's what I mean. It doesn't make the problem good. It doesn't make what you went through good. But here's what it can do. It can do good for us. The problem can actually help us grow. It can do good in our life. It doesn't make the pain good. But it can make the prospect out of that pain, the possibility out of that pain good for us. That's the beauty of the redemption of Christ. And let me tell you how I actually saw this over the last couple of weeks in my life and in my mom's life. Uh, a little over, we, we knew about a year ago that something was going on in my mom, uh, her health. We didn't know what it was. We saw some uh, weakening. She couldn't walk very good. We, uh, she'd get winded real easy. She had had some heart problems in the past, so we had put everything, you know, kind of on that. Uh, she had gone to different doctors, been in and out of the hospital, but it wasn't until January of this year that we actually got the diagnosis, and I shared it with you when we got it, that she had uh, major stage four lung cancer that had really taken over most of her chest cavity. And uh, at that point, uh, I remember sitting in the room with myself, my brother, and my mom, and my dad. And you can imagine the emotions that are going on in that room. I mean, uh, if you've been in a room like that, it's a doctor walks in and hands you a death sentence. We don't know when it was going to be, but we knew it was coming. And I remember my mom doing two things at that point. One is one thing she didn't do. I never heard her ask why. Why me? Why am I going through this? I never heard her once call out to God and say, take this away. It was Here's the one thing I heard her say. God, as I walk through this, may I walk through it graciously. I mean, I heard my mom say, I, I want to suffer graciously. That's crazy to me. But she was putting her dependence, even in the most dark days of her life, onto the God that she trusted with all her heart, who she'd been walking with for years. At that point in January, we thought we probably had months left. And uh, I had been planning travel to be back in and out of town. And one of the times we had planned on being back in was uh, two weeks ago. We were bringing all the family down. And when we got down there, uh, beginning of February, uh, we were visiting with mom. She had to go back in the hospital. And we realized while we were there that we, probably the months we were expecting was going to be weeks. And I began to, again, change um, some of my plans and travel plans to try to be there more uh, and things like that. Uh, but there was a day, there was again another moment when we're sitting in the hospital and um, I called my dad. It was on Saturday morning and dad said, why don't you just you and your brother come up this morning instead of everybody? And as we did, the doctor had come in that morning and basically said, there's nothing else we can do here. We're going to send her home and basically call, we would recommend you calling in hospice care. And so at that point, our idea of weeks went to days. And my mom was so fully alert at this point, able to communicate. Uh, and even in that moment, when we're 
going over this decision with her, I again never heard her ask, why me? Why me? She, what she wanted at that point was, she's like, I want to get home. I want to see the kids. I want to be, spend the, the last time that I have with those that I love. We got home on Sunday thinking we had days. Monday morning we woke up and realized very quickly that it was probably going to be hours. Uh, on Sunday night she had had a beautiful time of uh, remembrance with all of our family. She would gotten to say goodbye to PJ and Natalie and others that were leaving at the time. But I want to close with this story of how actually my mom's death gave me peace um, and how her dependence and not becoming desperate in even her darkest hour showed the faithfulness, not just of her faith, but the faithfulness of God. On Monday, uh, we had we saw that her alertness was going down, her strength was going down. Um, and then we, uh, she, one of the, her church asked if they could at 6 o'clock that night send her a group of people to sing some of her favorite Christian hymns. And we were like, of course, do that. And so... Uh, we're there, our family, most of our family is there, some friends are there, her pastor and many from her church had showed up, and from about 6 to 6.30, uh, this group of about 10 people came in and just beautifully sang some old Christian hymns. And you could see my mom, she was not very responsive, but she perked up a bit, heard these songs, and you could tell it was just a great ministry. I FaceTimed in PJ and Natalie from New York, and uh, I, w- I remember sitting in that moment going, I was getting actually actually getting a little angry because it was a very emotional moment. And I'm like, my mom hasn't passed yet. Like, I don't want to mourn her yet. I want to take whatever time we have. And so it was a beautiful moment, but I was saying it's too soon, too soon in my mind. About five minutes after they finished singing and they began to leave, um, we began to notice my mom's uh, oxygen levels and pulse rate began to just slowly go down. And over the next five minutes. I've been in many, many rooms where people have passed away. I can honestly say I've never been in a room where I saw somebody just peacefully let go of their physical life and grab hold of their eternal life. There was no desperation in her. There was no desperation in her physically, spiritually, or emotionally that we saw. It was very peaceful. And I can tell you, sitting there beside my mom as she passed and we saw her breathe her last, there was a peace that came at that point in my life and my dad's life, my brother and our family's life. And there's a passage out of Thessalonians that says this, that we do not grieve as those with no hope. And for a long time, I thought that was going to be a choice I had to make. Like when my mom passed or when a difficulty came, I thought that was going to be a choice I had to make. But when we live out of dependence instead of desperation, it's not a choice, it's a reaction. And I saw even in my dark day and in my mom's darkest day, peace abound really like I've never seen it before. It was amazing to what she suffered graciously and never asked why but how, and she left a wake of peace for us to experience that I'm still writing. And I still experience sorrow. I have sad days. I have memories that come flooding back. But when I think about my mom, I think about two things. I think about joy and peace. She was always laughing. And she left us with as much peace as she possibly could. Which brings me to my question for you today. Whatever problem you're facing, wherever you 
are walking in this moment is this. Are you being controlled by your problems? Or are you taking control of your problems to grow in dependence upon Christ? Are you trying to pick back up the pieces of your broken jar and just put it back together? Are you allowing the greatness and goodness of God that has now been spread out all throughout your life to minister to you, to bring hope into you, and to bring courage into you to reshape a brand new jar in your life? Because that's what this is, this whole story. It's not this idea of salvaging jars. Paul doesn't say these break and they're never, you're never made whole again. The beauty is this. When this jar of clay that we're currently in breaks, when I face a difficulty and it breaks and the goodness and greatness of God flows out of it, do you know what that does? He takes all of that in my life, in my situation, and he starts to form a brand new jar of clay. A brand new one. That's again filled with his greatness for the next difficulty that it's going to come and break and it's going to be formed again and again and again. And our life are these series of broken jars of clay that are put together in a beautiful mosaic of God's masterpiece. So stop trying to pick up the pieces and let God take them and reform a beautiful picture of your life and his grace intertwined together. Will you pray with me? God, it's difficult to talk about dark days. It's difficult to think about them. We would like to avoid them. Be our choice. God, we live in a broken world. We're broken people. We do things to bring pain into our own life. Other people do things to bring pain into our life. Our broken systems of government and of of the way we treat one another and institutional things bring pain and hardship into our life. Our our frail and broken bodies bring pain into our life. God, help us not to fight the brokenness. Help us to realize that you are going to be what floods out of our life when our life is broken and that you'll begin to form something beautiful and new. God, what you have done once in our life, you'll do again. You'll do a third time and a fourth time and a hundredth time and a thousandth and a millionth time. You will never stop building these beautiful jars of clay to pour your goodness and greatness in. Whatever you've done, you'll do it again. You've got to allow that truth to penetrate our hearts and minds this morning.